0: there was a lot of controversy of whether or not we count iPads iPad reading as screen time, right? It mm-hmm. seems stupid too, right? It seems like why would you, if, if a parent is reading to their child on an iPad, we should count that as reading. reading. Yeah. Not, but but <laughs> yeah. fascinating research now coming out with young kids shows that actually it doesn't work like reading because the kid, when they see the iPad, starts immediately to
1: be distracted by it. So I'm, I'm here with uh, Dimitri Christakis. Dimitri, welcome to Wise Words. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Uh, Dimitri, let's start with you introducing your yourself and, and your work. Sure. Um, I'm a
0: general pediatrician and epidemiologist by training. I'm a professor at the University of Washington in Seattle, the United States. And I, um, am director of the Center for Child Health Behavior and Development at Seattle Children's Research Institute. And within that center that has about 120 faculty. I have my own lab, and my laboratory focuses on kind of actionable strategies to optimize children's cognitive, social, and emotional development. So I study all kinds of things that we can do to promote social, cognitive, and emotional development. But one of the biggest ones, because it's one of the biggest things kids do, is media, because they spend an inordinate amount of time with media in the U.S. and and all over the world, certainly in, in Qatar yeah. as well.
1: And, and so you you obviously are very much uh, involved in trying to understand the impact of digital technology which which is something that uh, from a from a y standpoint is uh, is interesting what what have been some of the uh, areas that you've been investigating yeah. and, and what what are some of the findings that you've come yeah. across
0: well you know it's it's interesting because whenever i talk about this you know the the the, the conversation can go in one of two directions it can go in the direction of how incredible digital technologies are and what amazing mm-hmm. opportunities they've unleashed for all of us for our children for parents for educators um and and it's true those things are amazing and it can go in the other direction which is oh my gosh you know what have we done we've we've right. unleashed this dragon on our children and we've made them um Distracted, unable to focus, addicted uh, to these technologies and and um uh, and we 've made them more anxious because there 's clearly evidence now that there, that anxiety disorder, depression, mood disorders are increasing in children, and some emerging evidence that that digital technologies play a role in that, so the real problem is that it's not it 's not one or the other it 's really yeah. both and how do we how do we mediate that how do we come up with how do we extract the benefits, the extraordinary um, benefits and opportunities of this digital world, and minimize the risks and harms that are associated with it? Um, that's that's kind of the focus of, mm-hmm. of of my work. So how do we how do we figure out how to have how to help children lead healthy lives in the
1: digital world? So so if we if we take first the positives, yeah, um, is is there evidence, for example, are you coming across evidence? that uh, digital technologies can help accelerate learning, for example, which is, which is an area that that we know the ed tech space is sort of very keen to explore and potentially exploit. Yes, exactly.
0: I think you're exactly right. Explore and exploit is, 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 is exactly the right way of putting it. So I think there is evidence that digital technology can enhance learning, but it's by no means consistent, and it's by no means simple. In fact, if you look at I'll, – I'll, I'll share with you data from the U.S. So in the United States um, in the 1980s, there was one computer per 50 kids in schools. And today, it's one computer per three kids in schools, uh, in each, one computer for every three kids mm-hmm. in a school. And if you look at the U.S. performance internationally across any metric you want um, educationally – It's flat or maybe even gone down. So at least ecologically, if the introduction of technologies or the wider access to technologies was a panacea that was going to fix the problem, Mm -hmm. we haven't seen evidence of that. In local school districts, for example – in, uh, in Los Angeles with the one laptop for child initiative. They saw scores go down by giving kids additional laptops. Now, why is that? Well, there could be many reasons, of course. And I think that's part of the problem. You know, the, the, these things aren't easy to sort out, but, but it's not as simple as access to technology mm-hmm. improves learning. The real question is, how do we integrate those technologies into classrooms? Um, and take a real personalized, uh, uh, approach to it. You know, because the truth of the matter is that even the the best existing uh randomized controlled trials, randomized at the level of classroom or the level of school, but really it may be the level of student or even the level of learner, right? Because yep. it could very well be that in a classroom of 20 kids or 30 kids, that there are 10 kids for whom technology will be a real asset, <laughs> 10 kids for whom it'll be a real distraction, and ten for whom it really won't make mm-hmm. much difference at all and 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 maybe the way forward is to figure out how to integrate it at the level of student to to enable the students that really need one on one instruction with a real human to get that to leverage those technologies to create more time for individualized learning
1: yeah. i don 't know if, if and, and I, I, forgive me for not recalling uh, the study, but I saw somewhere that technology uh, when used in uh, as as a collaborative tool, so in other words, two or three uh, kids, for example, sharing an iPad right. uh, has been shown to be more effective than uh, a single iPad per right. per child. Have you come across any any evidence of that kind? So-
0: yes, and again, you know, this here and again is is the is part of what makes the data really messy. Because we we talk about this monolithically. We're doing it now. We talk about computers in classrooms or iPads with students. And, you know, those things at the end of the day are just a tool, right? It's not the device. It's not the software. It's the content and the experience. And we really need to focus more on that and not simply one iPad, is an iPad good or bad? It's really about what is Mm -hmm. that um, what what how is the platform being used? What is the software? What is the app, and how is it potentially promoting collaboration or not? You know, one of the interesting things, for many years there was a lot of controversy of whether or not we count iPads, iPad reading as screen time, right? It mm-hmm. seems stupid too, right? It seems like why would you, if if a parent is reading to their child on an iPad, we should count that as Reading, reading, not yeah. – but but <laughs> yeah. fascinating research now coming out with young kids shows that actually it doesn't work like reading because the kid, when they see the iPad, starts immediately to be distracted by it. They start to push on it. They try to grab it from the parent because they know that it can do other, other things. fun things, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> in a way that they don't with the yeah. book. Um, so that, that experience that is so critical, the physical act of reading to a child isn't about the spoken word it's about the back and forth conversations it's about the subtle interactions the social cues and when you see that w- once you introduce the ipad even though it's it's a printed quote unquote printed word mm-hmm all of a sudden conflicts arise because the, the they're fighting over the device in a way they never fight over a book
1: so it's 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 a really complicated to tease all yeah. these things out and and how what, what's the age group at which this this manifests
0: so this was the, this research is done in 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 preschool children and okay. young children yeah. yeah so i think clearly yeah. it's different and and you know that's the other part of this is that uh, there's a lot of developmental stages in childhood, and even if so, we talked about talking about devices monolithically. We shouldn't talk about children monolithically either. either. There's yeah, a huge yeah. difference in the yeah. range.
1: No, it's, it's I mean it's a fascinating area. That how how do you cope with the challenge? I, I guess that you know I mean the, the technology is developing so quickly. I mean right. you know we we talk about we talk about smartphones and iPads. You know, as if they've been around forever. Forever. The iPad came out in 2010. It's, it's, it's not, not even, even a years.
0: decade it's, old. I know. Isn't that amazing? I, so, I make that point frequently. Yeah, People yeah. are shocked by it. That's. I think you're putting your finger on what is the biggest challenge for us, for me as a scientist and a researcher, which is that the pace of, of science cannot keep up with the pace of technology. We're constantly playing catch up. So, yes. in the life cycle of research. I have an idea today. I, um, do some preliminary data collection. I apply for a grant. It usually takes me two years to get the grant. I do this research for two years, it takes me a year to publish. So what I just said was six years, which is to say the iPad's been around for 10 years. If on day one, people started deciding that they want to study this in a robust way, we would only have four years yeah. of data behind us. And by then the product is then, ubiquitous. But, but, yeah. <laughs> Correct and yeah. and even obsolete, right? Yeah. Something we've moved yeah. on to new things. Immersive technologies are coming along now, right? Uh, augmented reality, VR, and, and yeah. yeah, and yeah. VR and virtual reality, yeah. which yeah. again, we're we're most of us inside are, are have yet to even begun to study them, begin yeah. to study them.
1: So, so then, how do we? So, so how do we? I guess my question is, okay, that's that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Now, what what are some of the solutions? I mean, how do we even begin to think about the 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 way to introduce technology into, into schools. Because as you say, what, what, what happened was, you know, we, we went all out in certain countries. I mean right. the U S uh, being one of them went all out with the introduction, say of, right. Of uh, devices into, right. into classrooms, presumably without any correct understanding or right. insight into, into what was going to happen.
0: Right. So I think, I think what we need to do is to have um both uh regulation oversight and better collaboration between industry and science. So I was invited to this salon this um EdTech salon of uh of national experts on children and media a few, about a year ago, actually. And and Google was there, and Microsoft was there, and Disney was there, and all of these people that were developing products with the intention of introducing them into classrooms. And I'll be honest with you, some of them were unbelievably cool. So we went on this virtual field trip to Mars uh, using, you know, VR mm, glasses. Yeah. And uh, uh, this was a Google product, and you wore these glasses, and you felt like you were on Mars. And uh it was like, gee whiz, this is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. But but I found myself asking at the end of it, how are we gonna be sure that this does in fact um promote learning, create another generation of space travelers or or explorers, uh, or of explorers yeah, or right. engineers? Yeah. Or, or are we just making a cool fun technology that introduces sort of a video game to a classroom? Those are legitimate questions that should be asked, and they should be asked also at formative stages. In other words, the purveyors of these products should be tasked originally that the your ability to enter the classroom or to have market access is contingent on proving that this is value add from an educational standpoint. So bake it in, be thoughtful mm-hmm. of that, and then be prepared to test it. Uh in collaboration with objective scientists, so we wouldn't want to trust their own assessments um, before you're given entree. And not only would that collaboration, I think, obviously enhance the robustness of the of the research, and but it will streamline the process, right? Because we can work together collaboratively earlier rather than the current system, which is that I wait for something to come out, and then and then I and then the six years, you it's know, the clock starts then, begins. As opposed yeah. to what's what's yeah. down the pipeline, yeah. and let's start thinking about yeah. how we can roll this out together.
1: Is is there? I mean, just to sort of uh, play devil's advocate a little bit. Is there is it on the on the on the science side of the equation, uh, the the scientific process side of the equation? Are there things that we should be doing as 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 uh, uh, academics yeah. to think about shortening that time frame a little bit. I know this may be, you know, blasphemy yeah. <laughs> in the, you know, amongst the scientific community. But are there things that that we could do on that side to? Uh, to maybe compress that time, so it doesn't take six years right. well, to figure out what's you know what exactly is is going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, so one of the things which we just talked about was to try to start the process earlier with it, with collaboration. The other, frankly, is to um, to <laughs> because in that timeline, I I put two years to get funding, which is sort of in the U.S. the typical amount of time yeah. it takes to get yeah. federal funding anyway yeah. for a grant. Um, that could that process could certainly be shortened yeah. um, by the identification of uh, of, you know, accomplished, vetted scientists who are well-positioned to do the evaluation study as as part of the natural process of introducing the technology, yeah. much the way we sort of do with drug development, that that um, before drugs come to market, there needs to be certain things, certain studies conducted. Yeah. We know what those are. Actually, the industry knows what they are, so they're eager to have them done and to collaborate yeah. with them. Yeah. We, we fetishize technology, I think, in a way that, doesn't make us do that partly because I think we think it's great and partly because most people for a long time have thought there couldn't be any downside to it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a revelation to many people that actually maybe computers in the classroom don't enhance learning. Um, fascinating mm-hmm. studies done in college kids. I have two kids in college now and, uh, randomized experiments where half the kids in a lecture are given, are allowed to use their laptops since they all have them. Yeah. And the other half are given um, paper and pen, which is a sort of novel technology to them. They, yes. that they, they're not familiar with <laughs> yeah. it. And, uh, yeah. and they sit in the same lecture, uh, and at the end they're quizzed on the content. And what do you think they find? I mean, I'm already sort of... I, well, I'm, 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 I'm
1: sure the, the paper-pencil kids do better. They
0: do. They do do yeah. better. And it's fascinating. And I yeah. think there there's several hypotheses as yeah. to why. One is that Evolutionarily, our minds have evolved for this, 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 the, 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 the well, physical you, act of putting paper, a pen to papyrus or whatever, yeah. whatever started <laughs> is, is, um, yeah. helps embed things into the brain that that connection, that connectivity is, we've evolved for that yeah. as opposed to the typing. That's one hypothesis. Yeah. The second hypothesis is that, um, that the kids who are typing are, are functioning as transcriptionists. Um, They're very adept at typing and they're actually trying to transcribe the lecture as a stenographer might do. Whereas the kids who cannot, you cannot transcribe a lecture by hand. You can, um, are forced to do what I think you and I did in college since we, I assume both used pen and paper to try to focus on saliency. What is the big, you know, what is the main point that I want to get out of this that I'm going to write down? And then of course the third possibility, and these aren't mutually exclusive is that the kids on the laptop are, are distracted, that they're texting, you know, that they're yeah. surfing other
1: websites. They're uh, they're not paying attention as well at all. Well, but also if, if you look at, for example, just the layout of your typical word processing software, right? There's a whole bunch of, you know, little icons for right. this, for that. You know, should you have bold? Should you have bullets right. here? Or should you do a number list? You right. Know, what font Bells should you whistles. use, yes. right? And there's all this, you know accoutrements around you know the the page that even even if you're not texting even if you're not right. you know your 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 mind and your eyes get you know get distracted sure. to to the other stuff whereas if all you have is is a blank piece of of, of paper right and, and your pen then you're much more focused on what you are creating transcribing and right. writing yeah so you know that i mean I, I i've seen those studies as well i mean the um the the argument the one argument against taking these findings too literally at, at the moment was that that we we haven't yet tested the the sort of the generation that grew up just with laptops yeah. and and that maybe maybe there's you know maybe because there there's a difference but but it seems to me that that study that you're citing actually Tested a generation that pretty much grew pretty up pretty much grew with, up on laptops. This was, laptops. These were these yeah. were these were college kids yeah. today,
0: and I yeah. my kids are that age, and they yeah they got their lap they took a laptop starting in middle school to school, yeah. and that was their yeah. exclusive. Uh, nowadays, of course, it's even earlier than that yeah. uh, with iPads introduced in uh, most um, in many elementary schools and and computers as well.
1: Yeah, but what, what's what's the speaking of that? I mean, that there's obviously a market now and quite no. a sizable market of of a technology companies selling to yes. to the school system. What's the reception that you're getting from when you, when you bring up issues like, well, you know, we really should be testing the product yeah. before you can, I, it, I can't imagine an enthusiastic reception on the part of industry. Industry is not enthusiastic,
0: but yeah. you never expect industry to be enthusiastic about anything yeah. that that puts any guardrails on, on bringing products to market or yeah. broad dissemination. Parents, um, are generally very enthusiastic. In fact, you know, I got interested in the specific area of ed tech because most of my work focuses on, um, outside of school. I mean, yeah. focus on home yeah. use of, of home play, home technology, home reading. Um, I sort of assumed, you know, the schools are out of my purview. That's a whole separate area, but I get asked every place I speak. I suspect mm-hmm. I'll be asked this tomorrow because I'm asked everywhere I speak. About their kids' yeah. use of technology in schools. Many parents, I think, in part because of their own personal history yeah. as you know what we now call digital immigrants, they're not familiar with such extensive use. But also because I think they they feel that like their children are on computers all day. I mean, you know, if they're on the computers eight hours in school and then expect to do homework on their computer for yeah. three or four additional hours, we're we're wiring them quite deliberately. So I get asked about it by parents a lot, yeah. um, what, what role technology should play on. And, and many parents I think are appropriately concerned about it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, it's not even just in the classroom. I'll take it a step further. I, I want, we should talk about technology in the school, which is outside of the classroom as well. Yeah. So, um, in the U S and certainly actually in North America, I suspect probably in the middle East as well. Uh, most children get their first, Smartphone. And it's always, I always laugh when I call it that because it's the one thing they never do is talk on it. You know, it's, yeah, it's, so, not, it's, yeah, it's not really phone, a phone. Really. It's, a, <laughs> it's a texting, yeah. cla- you know, <laughs> social media, gaming yeah. <laughs> device, but in, in middle school and, um, which is a very sensitive developmental period. And most schools, we just did a survey in the U.S. have policies around cell phone use in the classroom, but not on the school proper. Which means that the moment kids are outside of a classroom, mm. they're on their device. And I, I saw this at my, at my kids' school when yeah. I would go to pick them up, you know, if you went on recess or if you went at lunchtime, all of the kids are looking at their screen. Bang.
1: Yeah. The phone comes out. The phone out comes and out and yeah. it's,
0: and it's, it's, you know, yeah. th- this is, this is a missed opportunity to, to, to socialize. I often wonder, are you, are you texting people in the cafeteria? <laughs> like <Yeah>. these are, <laughs> the your friends are here. Yeah, across, yes. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But yeah, France, I think, just just announced, I think, a ban on on cell, uh, cell phones, phones in in school.
0: I, I, Period. I, all yeah. throughout the whole country. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've not, I I did not know that. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., some schools are doing that, um, and and you know the the um, not districts yet. And I was talking to a principal from one of the schools, and she said that you know that they first got all these alarmed calls from parents saying, well, what if I need to reach my kid during the school day? And she said that, well, I let her know that there's someone in the principal's office at all times and they can always call that phone number and we can know where their child is and we can go and get them, you know, which is the way we grew up. But, 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 and and parents are reassured about it, but, but the initial response was, I won't be able to reach my kid if they don't have a phone with them at all times.
1: I'm going to ask Bassem if you, can you fact check the, the, the issue around whether you know whether France banned I know people the, the have been talking of,
0: about it. I didn't know they'd done it. They're they're
1: usually uh, uh use of cell phones so that we're not at least we're not giving misleading information. Yeah. It's important. Uh, in July Uh 2018 the
0: French government passed a law banning cell phones
1: in schools. There you go. Look at that. Okay. So, Bravo. Bravo. so it's been it's been going on for yeah. Uh, yeah, every year uh, a whole year, a whole academic year. Um now that's that's great and and as a, as because one of the things you're you're focused on is is uh, cognitive development yeah. in in the early years, uh, increasingly you see you know the, the phenomenon of of younger and younger kids, uh, essentially parked with right. Right. with an iPad and it, and it's you know, in some ways it's it's uh, for, for many parents maybe it's not the right thing to say but uh, it's it's kind of a, a saving device because sure. it keeps the the kids absorbed and yes. therefore quiet. Right. What are you seeing though from from your from your lab about yeah. you know how what else is this doing?
0: To well, kids? so it's interesting. So we did a study oh, about 10 years ago, so pre-iPads, where we looked at how um toddlers spend their days. We had parents keep time diaries. And what we found was that the typical a uh, 2-year-old spends on average uh 20 to 30 minutes a day with their favorite toy, whether it's blocks or books or dolls or trucks, that's how much time they spend with their with their favorite toy. Um, and we know that children will happily spend way more time with an iPad than they yeah. would with any traditional toy, which I think rightly begs the question of, if we think of these things as toys, they're not functioning the way any other toy has for millennia. Yeah. There's a different level of engagement um, that means the experience is fundamentally altered. Now, is that good or bad? Well, I would say it's both. Um, I would say the fact that they find these devices so engaging offers at least the potential upside of using that engagement to somehow promote learning and social development. In ways that are, frankly, not at all clear right now, but I just want to emphasize that there's at least the potential. The
1: potential is there.
0: Um, on the, on the negative side, um, we know that, that we live in an attentional economy and it's not incidental or coincidental or accidental that kids find it difficult to disengage from these devices. It's baked in. The makers of apps, even for very, very young children are designing them to make yeah. it difficult for them to disengage. Yeah. So even I would argue in the situation where we did have a high-quality educational app that worked, um, which we have very, very few of. Um, the fact that the child is spending so much time on it begs the question of what are they not doing, right? I often analogize it to to um, the media diet to a food diet. Mm-hmm. So carrots are a proven healthy food, but if if you eat a bushel of carrots a day, it's not a healthy diet because there's surely you're not eating other things yeah. that you should be eating. Yeah. And so even if the educational experience is proven on an app, if you're spending four or five hours a day on it or on a digital media platform of some kind, you're not doing other things that are essential for, for cognitive, social, and emotional development. And that's and that's currently the state in the U.S. So the typical preschool child in the United States, based on research that we've done, spends about four and a half hours on a screen of some kind. They're only awake for about 12 so they're spending 30% of their waking time on a on a, on a on a digital device. Yeah. Um which means they're not doing other things, things that they would have been doing more than 10 years ago when there yeah. wasn't an iPad.
1: And 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 again, we now we of course again we've had um iPads for less than 10, than years. 10 years, but we've had television television for a lot longer. Um what what does the science say yeah. about television versus Conversation, yeah. As, because again, the the I, I think uh, one of the presidential candidates famously said recently. You know, we'll you know put something on the record There's player, the record player, or, player, yes, or turn the TV on, just right. some, something to to have the kids, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. engaged listening to presumably good good content. But yeah. what, what do we know though about that versus you know interacting with yeah. with a human being?
0: Well, so for preschool children, which is to say, you know, two and a half, two to two and a half to five, there, there is actually quite a bit of research and quite a few high quality educational programs that have been rigorously evaluated and shown to promote uh, mm-hmm. Social and cognitive development. Sesame Street comes readily, readily to mind yeah. for most people. They,
1: they will be at the summit. So. Okay, <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, they're an example, I yep. think, of very good <clears throat> citizens in that space that have, that 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 do do research about the shows that they both formative research before they develop the show, and then evaluative research afterwards to test whether or not the messaging that they're trying to convey is working. Um, there are many other, even more recent ones that that I think follow that same procedure. But but Sesame Street will tell you that the research also shows that the value of their educational program is still enhanced when it's co-viewed with a parent. That their whole idea of their show is, in fact, to provide opportunities, not just for interaction during the show, but afterwards. Afterwards, So when the show is brought to you by the letter W and you focus on things that begin with W during the show, if the parent watched the show – then they, when the television is over, they can continue the conversation about things that begin with W. Yeah. Um, uh, first. Second, we know from, from, from decades of research that, that television itself, the medium is extraordinarily distracting. And so there's a phenomenon called background TV, which is to say a TV is on and, um, it's not really, in, it, it's not intended to be viewed or it's not being actively viewed by people in the room most of us has experience at a restaurant or at a cafe when there's a tv on and and you're with somebody and you find yourself uh, unavoidably focusing drawn, drawn, to drawn to it drawn to the media even TV, if it's showing yeah. something that's not interesting to you yeah. and and laboratory studies have shown that that the presence or the 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 um having a television on is uh disruptive to kids play and to parent child interactions we did a study about eight years ago, that showed just that: that if children hear a TV, they're less likely to hear their parents talking to them, either because their parents are watching the television or because um, they're being distracted by it.
1: Yeah, and, and now you know, now, now we have the phenomenon of you know people just by their phone, play, well, and and also just playing it out loud regardless of where right. where they are. So it's not they they they're in a sense using it almost like a a personal. Television set, right? Yeah, you know, without even bothering to use headphones, oftentimes. Right.
0: No, there's that's yeah. that's that's right, and mm-hmm. and and we've we've created a a culture a sort of codependency on 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 these devices such that we can't stand a moment of boredom. I mean, I'm always struck by. I spend a lot of time in airports, and I'm always struck by the fact that if you walk through an airport, um, every single person is glued to their own personal screen, yeah. whether they're waiting in line at Starbucks or sitting at the gate. Um, and this, you know, I'm old enough to remember a time when this wasn't true because it wasn't possible. Mm. So, people, what were, did we do? We, <laughs> exactly, exactly. How did we fill that time? Yeah. Um, yes, it's a it's a very interesting question. But I but but I guess we talked to more people. Well, we we, we yeah. I, I suppose we read newspapers, we read or magazines, we read, read yeah. books. But but we but well, we didn't do that when we were in line at Starbucks. We we either were alone with our thoughts, or perhaps we did talk to the people yeah. in front of us or behind us.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting because, yeah, this, this, this lack of alone time, alone with your thoughts, right. I think, is, is, again, something that we're not aware, perhaps, of what the implications are or will be when we've lost some of that time, or are we? Correct me,
0: no, I know. I think you're exactly, you know, what's interesting stuff is that you say is you said th- th- it's what the implications will be. So uh, you and or I are, had yeah. the experience as children and as young adults of being along with our thoughts yeah. of being quote unquote bored. It's this next generation of what we call digital natives yeah. that n- have never had that experience and probably never will. And what, what has that done to them? What does it mean for the future? Mm. Really interesting, Really interesting yeah. questions. I mean, as a general rule, we didn't talk about when to get a smartphone. It's another question I get asked a lot by parents. You know, I, I'm of the opinion that we should delay it as long as possible. Um, and most parents, when you ask them, why are you getting your child a smartphone? The answer they give is that they want to be able to communicate with their child, which is fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. I'm a parent and, but that's done very well with a dumb phone. <laughs> Um, that fulfills yeah. that purpose. Yeah. The child doesn't want it to communicate with the parents. They want no. it for all of the yeah. other reasons that parents yeah. are not necessarily entirely mindful of.
1: Yeah, or the or the other well, the the other useful feature, I suppose, if one could call it that, is is this you know find find my friends or basically the track the tracking the tracking device, device part, which which uh, you know I I know as a, as a parent. You know, I, even now with, with adult kids, right. I, I find quite reassuring that I can see where they just are. Just go in and see, you know, they're, and, and they're thousands of, uh, of, of, you know, kilometers away from it, me now because they're, they're in, in, uh, uh, one, one, uh, daughter is in college, son is, is in national service in, in Singapore. So it's, it's nice to sort of know. Right kind of where they where they are even though god knows what you'll do with that information but so they're they're you know, they're sharing they're really they're, they're sharing shi- yeah. they're really- i mean they they we we have a you know I mean a great relationship yeah. so it's it's you know they they know that it it's coming from a good place it's <laughs> not we're not intending to police them it's yeah. more just you know uh, uh and, and they they know where we are as well right. so it's it kind of cuts both ways um but you're right i mean you know we again we grew up at a at a time when you know you used to just head on, head on out. And then, you know, your, your mom or your dad would say, well, just just be back by this time. Right. And then there was no sort of <laughs> sure. sense of, you know, where are you? I need, you know, I need to reach you 24 uh, seven. And yeah, I mean, I guess that, that gave you some sort of sense of uh, freedom and agency and, right. uh, but also responsibility, I guess. And maybe we're, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound like the, your your typical sort of middle-aged guy, things were better
0: in my
1: day. And, you know, what are we doing to the kids now? In in so many
0: ways, they were worse. You know, the example (laughs) I use a lot now is this issue of what I call the airport pickup. So, you know, when I was growing up, picking someone up at the airport meant (laughs) that you would call the airline to see if their flight was on time, you know, with an analog, with a phone mounted to the wall. Yeah. Find out their phone was arriving on time. uh, Find out when their plane was arriving uh, leave in your car and basically just circle the airport because you did looking for them because you had no idea exactly when they were going to get out or where they were. Yeah. And, um, and if you didn't see them, there was no easy solution, right? You just yeah. kept circling because they could go to a payphone, but they couldn't call you to tell you, <laughs> to yeah, tell you, I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. that yeah. they're here or they're there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, nowadays You don't. I mean, picking someone at the airport is a trivial task, right? I mean, you you can check their flight status on your phone. They'll text you when they land. You'll be. It's a trivial thing, Um, and I've often wanted to sort of ask my kids to go pick someone up at the airport without a phone. Let's see how you can can you (laughs) actually can you actually meet somebody. It's going to be a real
1: challenge, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's it's it's all of this is is fascinating. So I I was actually going to come to the question that you you Open the Open the door to, which is okay, what advice do you give yeah. parents okay, so one piece of advice is delay the the moment when you uh gift your child a uh, a smartphone
0: well and and, well, and a corollary yeah. to that sarus yeah. is that um when you do uh you should do it on a contractual basis, mm-hmm. so there are many cell phone contracts that are available online if you google it, you'll find mm-hmm. them. I would recommend that parents kind of cut and paste to personalize what they want, but they all have sort of the first stipulation, which is that it's not the child's mm-hmm. phone. It's the parent's phone yeah. that the child has use of. It's a privilege, not a right. Mm-hmm. And it comes with certain expectations, certain ground rules, yeah. which parents can sort of outline in terms of when they use it, how much, et cetera. And then they're um, very clearly delineated sanctions for violation of the the policies. Yeah. I really believe that that should be done um, as soon as or before they're actually introduced. Yeah. So with respect to cell phones, I think with respect to younger children, um, I don't, there, there is no evidence that use of technology um, before the age of eight. Well, when we say technologies, I mean like iPads, yeah. not um, not Skyping um, before the age of 18 months uh, offers any educational benefit at all. Even though kids can use iPads younger than that, they don't appear to transfer any information they get from the iPad to the real world, as far as we can tell. Yeah. Starting at about 18 months, they can with parental um, reteaching. So if parents are part of that process, they can transfer information that they learn from an iPad to the real world. But even then, I I really suggest that parents limit it to 30 minutes a day. And the reason I use that, came up with that, is that's how much time they would play as I said with earlier, a with toy. a normal toy. Yeah. And if we're viewing this as a toy, it should be treated the same way. Mm. And then once they're, um, older, it, uh, you know, once they're, um, it, it becomes more complicated because putting limits on children's technology use for parents is not easy today. Not easy the way it was, even yeah. for me as a parent, my kids are 21 and, and 18. Um, and, you know, I, I'm one of the authors of the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines around children and media use. And we used to say for years, you know, two hours of recreational screen time a day, putting aside that I was a dissenter, I thought two hours was too much of rec- recreational screen time since many kids are spending a lot of time, you know, non-recreational. Yeah. Um, but it, it became impossible for parents to police what that was. Once the child has a smartphone, once they have a laptop in their room, how can any parent know how much recreational screen time their child is getting? It's very, very difficult um, without yeah. using monitoring softwares. Um, and so I've flipped that. Now I tell parents to make sure their children are unplugged off all digital technologies for at least three hours a day, one hour before bedtime, because we know these technologies impede sleep yeah. during mealtime, which hopefully is about an hour. And then one other hour, which could be sort of a post school uh sport or hobby or activity and i think it's really important in that situation to emphasize that that they really should be off device the whole time mm. so you know my daughter played um basketball and ultimate frisbee and when i would go to her practices and her games when they were on the sidelines they would still pull out the the, the phone, the phone yeah. you know yeah. um and I would discourage that completely. Yeah. They should be in the moment, focusing on yeah. the game and their teammates and the sport.
1: I mean, a, a couple of of and again, again, I don't know how effective these are, but uh, a couple of other uh, pieces of advice that I've come across. One is, you know, have a uh, have a public uh, computer. Yeah. Uh, meaning, have it in a public, public space, space in the right. house. Uh, don't essentially allow them to. Uh, to to have one in their room, although now with laptops, I don't again. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how meaningful that, that right. even is anymore. Uh, the other one is is actually um, to disable notifications, yeah, on on the phone, especially on the the social media apps. Uh, again, I don't know how effective that is in terms of of uh, policing it, but again, maybe with a parental lock, yeah. it can be done. Uh, so, in other words, don't have the, the thing going off whenever right. someone sends right. sends a message, right, or a, or posts something on social media.
0: No, you're absolutely right. That's one of the sort of cardinal addictive properties of all of those things, particularly the social media ones. That the that it activates the dopamine reward reflex. That, that getting that, that like,
1: little red badge, that
0: little red badge yeah. makes you correct. And so yeah. there's studies that have shown that even the physical presence of a cell phone in the room, even if it's turned off. Uh, impede sleep for exactly that reason, looking at it makes children wonder what what, what is might, going what on might there? be yeah. on that if I just picked it up yeah. and turned it on yeah. might I have gotten a text message or another like or a, another facebook post well, that, that
1: sounds to me that something for adults to consider as well I absolutely mean, whatever we 've just uh, said and discussed applies equally to grownups. Oh, absolutely.
0: A hundred percent. And, yeah. you know, we are our children's first and most important teachers and role models, and they model our behavior. And in fact, you know, one of the most common excuses I've given by both parents and children is that, well, they need the phone in their bed, because it's their alarm clock, you know, yeah. and there is a solution to that yes. problem. It's a very, it's not a very expensive solution <laughs> and it works.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dimitri, this has been, this has been a, a very enjoyable and informative uh, conversation. I'm conscious that we're sort of coming up to the, sure. uh, to the uh, 45 minute uh, mark. How, um, if, if people are interested in, in sort of following up with some of the topics that we've discussed, finding out more about your your work and your research, what's what's the best way for them to, to do that?
0: Well, if they're interested in my research, they can Google me yeah. <laughs> and they can find my TED talk yeah. and they can find my lab's website and, and see the work we're doing. If they're interested in learning more about um, common apps and programs, uh, a, a very good site is called common sense media which I have no relationship with which which rate shows and apps mm-hmm. based on their educational value the okay. violent okay. content in them uh, etc
1: and and you you yourself host a podcast
0: i I, I host a podcast but it's um, which is uh, at jamapediatrics.com it's around pediatric health topics generally
1: that I publish in uh, a journal that I edit it's that's mainly for specialist scientists. it's
0: mainly for it's mainly for doctors yeah, yeah.
1: okay great. Well, Dimitri Christakis, thank you for your wise words.
0: It was a pleasure being here. Thank you very much. Thanks.